everyone to Northview's podcast extra. This, believe it or not, is number 220. Gish, can you believe that? Uh, I can. Really? I, do. I can believe it because last week I listened to 219. <laughs> so I believe it. What you percentage wish? of the 220 do you think you've listened to? Probably a lot, actually. Yeah. I think last Maybe? year, Eric and the intern and myself, we, we cataloged, I'd say 160 or so. Wow. Yeah. So you like it. 60%, 70%. But he, see, to his credit, though, he did more than I did. But your knowledge right now, like, is just off the charts. It surpasses all understanding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, Gitch is here. Hey. Otherwise known as Andrew. Yeah. How's baby Gitch? He's great. He's, he's a bit of a munchkin these days at night. Decides he doesn't want any of anything other than crying, so. So he likes the night. He loves he nighttime, light. yep. And, he's, and, he, and he, he expresses his excitement to his parents, wants, wants us to know how much he loves the night. We're doing okay, though. Yeah. yeah. Except you've been yawning here constantly <laughs> yeah. as and we've been setting up. Coffee. Yeah. yeah. Look so at this. why McDonald's coffee? That's a large coffee. Too. Yeah, you're yeah, normally really a Timmy's guy. What's up? Well, I was having a coffee right before I left home, and I had to go. So I thought, well, I don't have time to finish this. So shamefully i had to pour it down the drain and i was on my way to work and i got cut off at clearbrook road they're doing a bunch of road work right now so i thought well i'm gonna do a slight detour and go get myself a coffee mm. so i ended up at mcdonald's and i had one of these free you know they put all the stickers here yeah yeah Yeah, you peel the sticker you stick it on the card could you show that to the microphone i, 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 <laughs> I could right yeah. so uh anyways i have a couple of these in my wallet apparently i have a coffee problem so i was going through the drive-thru pull out this card hey it's full so I ordered Sweet. myself a, a big free old coffee. a free coffee. Nice. So that's why I go. Possible. That's right. When it's free, you get the big one. Mm. That's right. And I could go back, although I wouldn't, but I could get a refill. Free refill on your oh, coffees at McDonald's. Time. Yep. Even after you left? Probably you can not. go back? That's why I say I wouldn't, but you probably could. Well, I thought that story could, would be a little bit. You more could pull exciting. it off, but yeah. you might have an ethical <laughs> issue with that. Uh, Paul is here. Hello. Crystal is here. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And Thalia's here. I'm here. Johnny is here. Hey, it's good to be here. And Johnny has set us up, so hopefully this sounds way better than it has ever <laughs> Here's hoping, before. anyway. He Here's spent hoping. about a half hour at this, so, you know, this is going to be good. This, this will be good. All right, well, we want to uh, dive right into some questions here uh, for this wonderful team we have assembled here. Hey, Extra Team, every so often I hear about a church being planted in Abbotsford. Mm. As a Christian, I, of course, want to be supportive of such a thing if it were uh, an initiative affirmed by Christian leaders to be something the Lord seems to be opening doors for. However, my knee-jerk reaction is bewilderment that someone wants to grow yet another church in Abbotsford when there are already so many churches here that you could practically stand on any street corner, throw a stone in any direction, and hit one or even two, much like Starbucks in downtown Vancouver. Or McDonald's. We're, we're not talking about McDonald's. Aww. <laughs> There's you less McDonald's now, actually. You get one you get a corporate sponsorship, Gage. McDonald's is in trouble. Is that what you're pushing here? That's right. Aren't there <laughs> more than more enough coupons. churches <laughs> for anyone to join in this community already? Why not try and uh, serve the body by attending those churches? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. So, Well, I think... The whole idea of church plant is not necessarily to get people who are already Christians into the building. Mm -hmm. It's to try and get into areas where there aren't Christians um, and reach out to them. So wherever you're church planting, that's the idea. So I think if someone was planting a new church in East Abbotsford, the idea is to reach out into that exact kind of parish, like to use that old terminology of where they are. So 
that would be the goal, not yeah. necessarily to steal people from Central Heights and from Northview and from South Abbotsford to join their congregation. Yeah. So I think that's the heart of church planting. Yeah, and if you talk with people who have become believers, like new believers, um, the stats are quite overwhelmingly in favor of church plants in terms of reaching people for Christ, people who haven't been reached. So church planting is always a good, always a good thing because more people are getting reached. Well, and one of the difficulties is that just because you see a church doesn't mean it's necessarily healthy or theologically on track or even a Bible-believing church. So we have to be careful when you join a church as to what kind of a church it is. Yeah, so for sure. Just because there's 300 churches in Abbotsford doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they're all solid churches. No. Exactly true. But I think I think the question gets at a good gets at a good point, and it's and it's that why are are, are these church plants trying to reinvent the wheel or recreate something. And I wonder if, if, if how often these church plants are trying to, you know, hey, we got, we have McDonald's coffee, not whatever, right. Maxwell House. Or they're trying to mm-hmm. recreate something to draw people in. And I wonder if that is the case um, some, some of the time. But it, it's interesting. When I was younger, we went through, my family and I went through a, a long series of church split ups and breakups and, you know, re- reunions and breakups again. And so at one point, for about a year, we were having church with about, I would say, 30 or so people, congregants from our church were meeting in our living room. And we, it was almost like a home church kind of church replant, sort of as it were. And it later turned into kind of a larger body who ended up, you know, finding a facility to meet in more regularly, more long term. And it, the, the, the church actually flourished and is still uh, alive today. This was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, probably. Um, but it, And it certainly wasn't something that was started or created with the intention of, drawing people away or just growing for the sake of numbers, but it was, it seemed to be a, a number of, you know, good close friends who all had a similar goal, wanted to pursue Christ in a, in a community, and uh, it just worked for them to meet in our house, and, you know, one thing led to the next, and, you know, eventually our house was full, and then we were in a school gym, and kind of went from there, and so I think the, the idea there wasn't necessarily, um, you know, a malicious kind of church plant, but rather like really sincere group of people that kept growing but but even though a church plant will say we don't want to steal you know sheep Mm -hmm. from other churches the reality is they're not going to survive on just non-believers coming to check out church right and so they have to have people from somewhere coming a core Mm -hmm. at least that that is there to support the church for volunteering and resourcing and even financially yeah Mm -hmm. and so you know how do you how do you not steal sheep like how do you how do you stop that? Yeah. I think the writers are also expressing this desire for the healthy churches of our community to be full and overflowing. So I remember last mm. Easter when Northview was full in every possible capacity for the Easter services, and I actually felt a bit sad thinking, what about the other healthy churches in our community? Mm-hmm. I wish they were full and their pews and chairs were full and overflowing like we were. And that's what we'd like to see. Mm-hmm. I think healthy church plants come out of kind of ascending body, right? So I remember back in the day, Bakerview Church, where I attended as a young kid, was actually one of the churches that planted Northview. And I remember this mm-hmm. weekend when, you know, 10 couples from Bakerview stood up and said, we're going to be part of this new plant. And I know other churches did the same kind of thing. And for me as a kid, I was like, oh, that's exciting. Like, we're sending off missionaries from our church into plant right. another church. And so it was a partnership feeling, like not that they were going to steal people from us, but we were partnering with them in a new work. So I think ideally, if it can come out of an existing church. Right, because we do hear exciting. a lot about, you know, I, I want to make a church that's for the unchurched. I want to make a yeah. church that's different. And it's just 
somebody or a group of people going, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Versus, you know, what Bakerview did say, hey, no, we're going to be part of this and we're going to send people there Mm -hmm. is a much healthier way, I think, to plant the church than just somebody going, I just don't like the way everybody's doing church, so I'm going to try it different. Do my own thing. Then what they find out is, yeah, they changed the brand of coffee and yeah, we're way different than everybody else now. Yeah, yeah. And I love what the the listener said about, um, I want to be supportive of such a thing if it were an initiative affirmed by Christian leaders to be something mm-hmm. the Lord seems to be opening doors for. Yeah, as opposed mm. to a yeah. divisive split or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think if you look at uh, the launch of our mission campus recently here this past spring, I think that's a great, it's a great example mm-hmm. of that where an opportunity came up and, you know, the conference sort of approached Northview about it. And it was something that, uh, I mean, Jeff said said himself, it's kind of an opportunity that fell into our lap here at Northview. Yeah. And it wasn't, like you said, Thalia, divisive, no. you know. Um, it was effort to, it right. was the idea behind us joining was we wanted to have another faithful church in mission that was strong and exactly. vibrant and yeah. flourishing. We didn't yeah. want that church to, to fade away. So, yeah. yeah, and it's interesting, too, in some of the classes I've taken with church history and things like that, you learn about historically there's, you know, there's breakups in a theological understanding or interpretation of something. So the solution, well, we'll just build a fence and, you know, we'll just be good neighbors, right? We can have our own denominations. And here you are now, you can look up, I'm sure, a long list of kind of even denominations that are forming all the time. And it is interesting to see, well, we disagree here, 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 therefore we're a different denomination. And um, sometimes it's, I think it's outrageous. (laughs) But certainly, I mean, you look at maybe some of the core pillars of, let's say, Anabaptism versus, you know, Pentecostalism versus, you know, the Baptists or Alliance. There certainly are some distinguishing traits or or um, doctrinal issues, but but if you go too deep, I think you you can just begin to split hairs on these theological uh, kind of minute issues, and it, it can get a little ridiculous. So, what do you think God says when He or is thinking when He looks down and sees all these denominations all try to be very faithful, right? Right, in in many ways, does He just shake His head and go like, "What are you guys doing?" What do you think? So you're getting at the idea of, should we all be one church, one denomination? Should there be? I don't know. <laughs> well, the whole idea of unity um, within the body of Christ, in order to have unity, there has to be diversity. You can't, like, so in other words, for God to be um, unity within the Trinity, there's three persons within the Trinity. You can't say God is united if God was only one. I mean, that's just singularity. And so... Um, God, or when Christ prays in his high priestly prayer that um, everybody would be one as they are one, then he's calling us in our diversity to be joined. So we are joined, faithful Christian denominations are joined in our belief in the Trinity. We believe in Christ's um, sacrificial work on the cross. We believe in creation. We like There's all these doctrines that we do agree on, but it's just these, there's separate things like secondary issues, what some people might call them closed-handed issues and open-handed issues, things that we hold on to tightly and things that we're open with. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what separates us. And some people get really hung up on them and angry about them. But um, we can be, we can have these differences and still be brothers and sisters and still work together in reaching out to our community and parachurch organizations and things like that. Good. Yeah, so I think so. God would call us to have that right attitude towards each other, right? Yeah. Even if we don't mm-hmm. necessarily agree on every point, but have an attitude of love yeah. and care for each other, fellow Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Amen.
Uh, let's move on to another question here about, uh, well, a little bit about the end times, I guess, and false prophets. Um, hello, Extra Podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I have a question, uh, which is Fire what away. we like. We like to have questions, so please send any questions to extra at northview.org. Whose phone is ringing? It's yours. Oh, it's mine. <laughs> Sending you a question right now, Darcy. Yeah. Question coming in live. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> One mark of a false prophet is that his or her prophecies fail to come true. I'm confused then with how to understand Luke 21:32. Andrew, can you read that quickly? Yeah, I'm going to read a little bit of the surrounding context because it's okay. always helpful. Uh, this is this is with within the context of the the fig tree with Jesus and his mm. disciples. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So the listener says, Jesus seems to clearly state that the quote-unquote, end will come, uh, and then in brackets, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple first, but also the end in capital letters, I'm assuming they're meaning the big end of the world, in verses 27-28, during the disciples' lifetime, which it obviously didn't. In other places, uh, he states that only the Father knows the time of the end. This seems like a contradiction. I don't feel comfortable doing a lot of exegetical gymnastics to get Jesus off the hook, when we're quite severe with other prophets who seem to have contradictions. Please help. Silence. Yeah. <laughs> I think in this passage, Jesus is talking to them about the signs of the end. Mm -hmm. And so basically he's saying, you'll be starting to see these signs of the end taking place. And the first one is the signs of Jerusalem being destroyed, which happened in, what, 70, 80? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, that would have been within that generation's lifetime. Um, so I think what he's saying is this fig, he's talking about the fig trees coming out in leaf and all those things as being signs of what is about to come. And so I think what he's saying is we're inaugurating this end time. When I die and go to heaven, this end time is kind of, is starting. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, when, when Christ started his ministry, he started by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. So the kingdom of heaven came already at his incarnation. That's when it was inaugurated. It just hasn't been fully consummated. And that will happen when he returns. So we are, we are in the end times. The, the end times began with Christ's ministry. Yeah. That's, that's when it began. So um, when we look at these things and it says, um, uh, oh, where it says here, um, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. I'm guessing that's what the person's really referring to because he's because it sounds like gener when you when you think generation you think everybody that's living right now yeah. but generation didn't necessarily mean that in that sense it, that that could have referred to um, people with a certain uh, mindset it could have referred to a certain um, uh, Anyway, it didn't. It didn't mean necessarily mean in a certain age. covenantal era or a certain yeah, kind mm -hmm. of epoch in history. Like yeah. That. So if we're in the yeah. end times, we're part of that yeah. generation that began. The end times yes. Generation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because as he continues on, if you read further on in that passage, the whole point of this message is that he wants us to wait, to wait and be ready for, for the 
to have the right hearts and so that we're ready for when the end times mm-hmm. comes. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the point of what he's yeah. uh, what he's pushing towards. So, yeah, there's never a, a, a definite time given, but the warning is be ready. Yeah. That, that's the important thing to take out. Yeah, and every time in Matthew 25 when he talks about end times too, the whole yeah. point he's bringing over and over again is be ready, be ready, be ready. Right. It's he, not a tight understanding of generation as in 40 years kind of idea. Right. Yeah. And even with the Passover too, I, th- I think of there's similar instructions, right, to, to be ready, to have your sandals ready and, and unleavened bread, you know. And so the idea was, you know, be ready. So what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be ready for the end time? To have a cellar full of canned food, <laughs> bottled water, <laughs> space blankets, and Apparently Pop-Tarts. Jim Baker, you guys remember Jim Baker? Apparently he's selling food for this now. Really? Somebody the was telling days. me this the other day that now he's, he's selling, he used to be a major proponent of the pre-tribulation rapture. And now he's like, no, no, we're going to have to live through the tribulation. So now. Because I got this new job. Yeah. So now <laughs> I'm going to sell you basically astronaut food to keep in your basement for <laughs> forever. So yeah, there's Seems like he kind of goes where the wind is blowing. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I think the, wrong? Whole, the whole idea of being ready is kind of having your hearts ready, being mm-hmm. kind of found when Christ comes, being found in service to him, not yeah. in some other planet, you know, against in rebellion to him. It's that attitude of being kind of in right relationship with people and right relationship with God, doing what he's called you to do every day and living faithfully. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't matter when no. Jesus comes. No, right. Right. you're doing the right thing and have short accounts. And we being can... ready too, I think it has implications for our own personal ministry and how we... Um, how we handle and how we interact with our brothers and sisters around us, even those who, who haven't come to saving faith in Christ. I think it, it brings a certain urgency mm-hmm. yeah. to the proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. We tend to live in a little bit of an age of grace where we, we want to think that, well, I've, you know, I've come to Christ and I'm in faith and he's covered my sin, but, so everything I do from here on in is okay. But I think Jesus is talking about mm-hmm. keeping a, a short account of mm-hmm. our sins. Yeah. This is something that the early church fathers really encouraged the, the believers to do, was to make sure that daily we, we prayed the prayers of penitence. I mean, the Lord's Prayer itself, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is both vertical and horizontal relationships yeah. as Andrew was getting at. Mm-hmm. So you both mentioned it, and John, you just explained it there a little bit. Or if you can just expand a bit when you talk about short accounts, like we use that all the time, keep short accounts with God. What, like, what does it actually mean? Well, if you feel like God's convicting you or mm-hmm. challenging you, or that the word preached is kind of poking you to do something, mm-hmm. don't delay. Like, be active in what God's calling you to do. Mm-hmm. If you need to repent, if you need to make things right with mm-hmm. people, if you need to change a direction or a path that you're on, mm-hmm. do it. Don't think you always have another day to do it. Which is yeah, particularly relevant to the the sermon this weekend, or the the the, the sermon on um, Jeff preached this weekend in mission on Matthew eight, 18. Yeah, eighteen, yeah. where uh, where two or three are gathered. You know, sort of this misinterpretation, but actually talking about um, confrontation and pointing out sin in someone else's you know life, and uh, and bringing that through. And so I think having short accounts is exactly that is for yourself. Um, not living in unrepentant sin, but, you know, constantly becoming uh, to, to the throne of grace and, and being cleansed from that sin, but also to, again, how it affects your, your ministry to those around you. It brings an urgency, for sure. Yeah. I want to move on to another question, uh, just a little topic here uh, on polygamy. Hmm. Just a little, <laughs> a little topic. topic. shouldn't take long. <laughs> I have heard it said that when the Bible talks about some of the men God uses in the Bible having more than one wife, 
it is merely telling what was happening versus actually affirming this way of life is good. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Or is this an instructive thing on, no, you like we should all have multiple wives? Well, there's no... When you go back to the beginning of Genesis, um, where it says, and for this reason a man shall leave his, mm-hmm. his mother and father and cleave to his wife and become one flesh. That's the idea of... Yeah. of one man, one woman from the very beginning. That was the instruction that, that was, was given. That was the perfect design. That was the perfect design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And throughout any of the Levitical laws and all the you never see really polygamy um, given this formal stamp of approval. Yeah. But it did happen. Yeah. We know from Abraham, I mean others, right right from the beginning. So where like who came up with that idea? <laughs> <laughs> like that, hey this would be great to have more than one wife. We all know who came with that idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A lot of times in the ancient cultures, I think there was less protection for women. So having more than one wife was almost um, a way for a woman to actually have sustenance, to have a family, you know, to have someone to protect and care for them. So there was a practical aspect of it, I think, that wouldn't be the same. To and the family kids. to have lots of kids, right? Yeah, well, yeah. necessary because... Because sons would... would care for them in their old age, and unmarried women mm-hmm. would not be provided for like married women. So it was a form of care and protection out of the sin and brokenness of our world, because that's not the original design. Right. So did God make something good come out of this bad thing? Well, he he always makes good things come out of bad things. What do you... So, like, I mean, if you look at... If you look at um, Abraham, which was brought up already, Abraham had um, Sarah, who and he was promised... Um, a son through Sarah, but then Sarah goes and gives him. They, the, she gets impatient and says, "Take my, take my handmaiden or, miss, oh, whatever, servant. whatever yeah. servant." Yes, thank you. And uh, and so he does, and and um, and then she, and she has Ishmael, and then later comes Isaac, right? And so this wasn't this wasn't something that. And that was a situation where God had said, no, your, your son is going to come through Sarah. Your son's not going to come through. And so then Isaac comes and everything. But as you go down the line, then, then you get um, uh, Isaac and Jacob. And, and Jacob has multiple wives as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And from Jacob's multiple wives, um, the line of Christ comes out of Judah, who wasn't the wife or, or who was the son? Not it was the son of Leah, not the son of Rachel. Rachel, thank you. And Rachel was the one who he was supposed to marry in the first place. But and so there was a whole bunch of sin involved there, right? Yeah. Laban gives his eldest daughter because he's like nobody's going to want to marry her because she's not as beautiful as my other daughter, right? And so and so he gives both daughters off, and um, Jacob didn't even want that in the first place. And so, but then you have the line of Christ still coming out of the, um, out of that sin. So God, yes, God will use bad things. His plan won't be thwarted. Exactly. By man's stupidity. Exactly. So, so the Bible, even though it talks about it a lot, isn't affirming it, is what we're saying. Right. It's never prescriptive. It's always descriptive. So it's just telling, here's what's happening. Here's the history. Yeah. And by the time you get to the New Testament, when you have um, kind of the role, the characters of elders and pastors and stuff that are spoken about there, they talk about someone being the husband of one wife, and that being yeah. kind of the ideal, right? right? So by the time the New Testament 
culture came along, that that was definitely more described as a prescriptive state to have, to have the one wife. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this listener goes on with a question about Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, where God is quoted as saying that he had given David all of Saul's wives to him. Is God actually saying that uh, he's given David multiple wives, or is that not the correct way to understand this passage? And, and if God has done that, how, like, how does that not affirm polygamy then? I think there's a situation where David's inherited everything that the previous king had. And so um, these wives who Saul had had were now in David's care. This didn't mean that David had sexual relations with every one of these wives that were coming along, but he was now in charge, and these women were to be taken care of by him. So it didn't... Yeah, yeah, this was, a, this was a whole part of inheriting the kingdom, exactly. So it wasn't just wives that came with that inheriting the kingdom. It would have been goods and riches and all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but like it, and it's, I mean, it's popular show. It is. Right. And this yeah. dude has all these wives and yeah. kids and yeah, and so they try to show that this is good. This is viable. this is yeah, this is a, a viable marriage. And I, my goodness. But I mean, even if you think about from. Um, Anyone who's married will know that being married and marriage is a wonderful thing, but it isn't always easy. And so I've only been married for, well, just over four years last week. Um, but even thinking from it, thinking about it from this perspective of, of my wife and and my marriage takes it like it's it takes out of everything, all of our energy, everything we do is you know contributing towards our marriage. And so I I I just don't see how. <laughs> I just don't see how you could ever have that multiple with multiple yeah. people. Do you know what I mean? Not like that same level of intimacy. Not that same level. Yeah. How can mm. you know? Yeah. Because to be committed to somebody is to be fully committed. Yeah. So how could you be fully committed four, five, six, seven, eight times over? Uh, God gives you extra love in your heart. It must be. It's <laughs> like you can love one child and then you love the other child. You have just as much. It amazes me. You extra love. <laughs> marriage is a wonderful thing, but it is definitely uh, in accordance well, with marriage. scripture designed for man and woman singular. yeah and marriage is a picture of um god's marriage or christ's marriage to his bride the church right and so and say or, or if you look in the old testament when you have israel who is unfaithful to god and going after other gods all the time and he looks at that as being like adulterous and and uh and so he's called us to be faithful to him and he's faithful to us that's a that's a one-to-one relationship there isn't yeah. There aren't multiple spouses in there. Right. So, yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I know for, for some people that, that's maybe an interesting topic or a tough topic in some cultures. You know, that's just not a big deal. But we wonder if it's just all the very practical reasons why that's it's helpful to be in that kind of relationship. But God does not smile on that. Mm-hmm. Right? Amen. Correct. I don't see any scriptural proof of it. So, <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Um, hi, extra folks. Hello. I'd like to know your thoughts on original sin and the sin nature that we've all inherited. Is it fair that we are punished for that which we didn't do? How can we reconcile this with a loving God who knew it was going to happen? So if God knew we were going to sin, mm. why in the world did he <laughs> punish us for it? 
And we all inherit that sin nature. So is that fair? Like, should I inherit it? I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Yes, you should inherit it. <laughs> You're a terrible, dirty, rotten sin. No, I'm kidding. But it's true. This actually is really... Uh, interesting, because the other day, we have a newborn baby, by the way, everyone out there, if you're listening. Baby Gitch. Baby Gitch, he's just two weeks old today. And I was holding them the other day, thinking, man, this little guy who knows how to do nothing except the, the reflex that God has given him to, you know, feed and clench his fist and open his eyes and cry. Aside from all that, he can do nothing. Uh, but he's He's sinful. And he's separated from God and, you know, destined for eternal separation. And that to me as a father now just seems so unfair, so wrong. What did, what did poor Mason do to, to deserve all this? And so it is, it's just interesting now that I had, you know, had this experience, this encounter um, and thinking about this. And in some ways, I think, I think we can go, yeah, yeah, it does seem a little unfair. But when we look at the, the grand story of um, us, separating ourselves in, in the garden, um, perverting kind of God's plan, we, we have indeed separated ourselves from him. And that has to be passed down. And that's why the only way to remedy that or to, to make atonement for this eternal sin is by an eternal sacrifice, which is Jesus. It comes to the, the idea of um, when you talk in theological circles or whatever. You talk about Adam being our federal head. Yeah. And Christ is our current federal head. Adam was our first federal head. And so Romans 5, 13 to 14 says, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So um, Adam was the representative of humanity. And so his sin was is passed down and through the curse on that sin that's passed down through all generations of all mankind and so we're all under that and then for christ to die on our behalf for on all of our behalf he has to be our federal head as well and so really in order for us each of us to be forgiven of our sin we all have to have a federal head over us in forgiveness we had to have a federal head over us in sin if that makes sense. There's a theological word for that too, imputation. Yeah. Fun fact. Mm. <laughs> we we but, do speak about fairness, and, and I think we do need to address fairness from God's point of view. It wasn't fair that Christ had to die in our place. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't take long for us to recognize, you know, being a parent when a child in, implements their own will against the will of their parents. And so we have this penchant to do the wrong thing. So it's, it's, it's not a question of whether it's fair or not. So Paul addresses this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it proves to us that we do need a Savior. And that's why we need to look at fairness through God's eyes, I think. And I think our temptation always as people is to place judgment on God and by our standards right. judge whether yeah. he's being fair or not. When you look at the book of Revelation, it talks about all the people that kind of see the whole story and they're bowing down in worship and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And they can see the plan from they beginning to now, end, yeah. and they get it now, right? But we kind of, in our limited time, think, well, we understand it better. God's not being fair. Mm -hmm. I think we need to trust in his character as revealed in Scripture that he is love, and he is compassion, and he is forgiveness and grace and all these things. And someday we'll be able to understand how that all worked out and how it came together. 
But mm-hmm. if we start judging him or we start, yeah, judging him as humans as being unfair and capricious mm-hmm. and all these things, we're not doing justice to his character. We do essentially lean in a great deal to uh, humanistic thought, which sees us as essentially good people, not yeah. as essentially fallen, the right. great Augustinian yeah. concept. Mm-hmm. The, the good news in all of this, though, is is it sends us running to the cross. <laughs> it puts the focus back on back mm-hmm. on Christ. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it says in Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me and in iniquity. Um, it, sorry, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so to, in order to make that right, Christ did it all. It's been done. We don't actually have to do anything other than accept and, and, pro, and proclaim um yeah, salvation in Jesus Christ. And so it sends us, but all the glory goes to God. It sends us running back to him. So how about the, the kind of second question that this listener asked about how do we reconcile this with a loving God who knew it was going to happen? So like, why in the world would God make a creation that he knew was going to rebel against him and that he'd have to sacrifice his son? So like he knew that this was going to happen. Why did he bother? Why, why then? Why, why bother? bother? Yeah. He, not only did he know it, but he ordained it to happen. So what does that mean? Well, God's, God in his will um, decreed, essentially, that this would happen. If we believe that God is sovereign over all things, then he decrees things. So, and this can be hard to take when we're, when we think of God and when we're thinking of him um, as a, when we think of, yeah, when we think of God as an all-loving God, and He is, this can be a hard thing for us to swallow. But when we, when we think of the the extent He had to go to redeem us back from that, there's a there's a greater love in that than just creating and making them stay perfect. What you're saying is God didn't want automatons. He didn't want just robots, but exactly. that there's something much more uh, essential about requited love rather than unrequited love. That God gave us that will to love him back. Yeah. So Adam didn't have a choice to sin or not sin, to obey or disobey? Adam... Um, yeah, when we when we look at it from from a human perspective, we always have a choice. But from God's perspective, um, He is in control. So there's this there's this tension that we have to live in, and we have to live in this tension between um, God's sovereignty and God's um, God's complete um, un. un- questioned love I mean and so when we live in that tension sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that but the Bible doesn't call us God doesn't call us to try to reconcile the two either he calls us to to be faithful and to know that he's loving and to know that he's also in control and so yeah it's it's a big it is sure it is and I mean and we in seminary I mean, you have big discussions around this, and and people on both sides of the equation kind of can get mean about it or angry about it too. And and uh, but when it comes down to it, I mean, we're called to live in this tension and and trust that God is good and loving. And, yeah. If you read, and he is who he says he is. If you read in Ephesians one where it talks about the fact that this plan 
for all of us, what we were predestined from before we were born and all these things. This phrase that keeps coming up over and over again when, when Paul is talking about this plan of God is to the praise of his glorious grace, yep. to the praise of his glorious mm-hmm. grace. Yes. And so that's yeah. the idea that whatever he set in motion, that someday this will come to the praise of who he is and what he's done and how we see his amazing hand of redemption mm-hmm. throughout mankind. We might not yeah. understand yeah. it now, but that's, that's the goal. So like in Revelation, our knees will bow yeah. and mm-hmm. we'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. I find so some people find it really unsettling. Like these questions are, are huge. You know, okay, why? Big question. Yeah. And, and I think in some ways that's kind of that's kind of the you know you you can't really go any farther. Sometimes we we just don't know. There are a number of questions I think that that bring us to that point of well, we just we just don't know, but we kind of trust. Some people find it really unsettling and and unfair that we don't you know we can't know all the answers. Personally, I find I'm okay with it. I'm okay, I'm comfortable. Just think, trusting in God's sovereignty. I think the more you're in the Word sovereignty. and understand His nature, yeah. mm-hmm. the more you say, okay, then I'm okay with the things I don't quite yeah. know yet. Yep. Wouldn't some people just say, though, you're just kind of ignorant because mm-hmm. you're just willing to blindly sure. follow without knowing everything? But if you trust in someone's character, like I would trust Darcy to lead me somewhere that really? I don't know, and <laughs> then I might trust somebody I don't know, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? So you, you're more comfortable with unknowns if you trust the character of the person that's... That's a, that's, I think that's a great point, yeah. Right, and that's part of the, the whole childlike faith, right? Not childish faith, mm-hmm. it's childlike faith. And so when kids have good parents, kids trust their parents, even though they don't know everything and they don't know why necessarily all the time, but right. kids will trust their parents and follow what they do, and that's what we're called to do with God when we know He's it's, good yeah. and trustworthy and holy. It's an unreserved dependence. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what we're really saying is when the team goes to the study conference in Winnipeg, they need Darcy to be the tour guide. Because <laughs> yeah, right. he knows where he's going. We're going to trust you implicitly. Yeah. Brother, Red Lobster. You, you go there by choice sometimes, <laughs> don't you? Yes. Wow. Well, I have family there. That's <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it wouldn't be on my bucket list. <laughs> you know Calgary got snow last week. That serves them right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess so. And the flames. Uh, you know, speaking of sports now, uh, we're sitting around here, and uh, Andrew is wearing a very stylish corduroy hat with a very flat brim. Mm, it's a nice hat, though. That's the part you're leaving out. Okay. <laughs> Paul is wearing a, looks like a brand new... It is brand new. BC Lions hat that's orange. Yes. My question, it nice curve on the brim though Did thank you, you. That? no it came with it really it's that's a pre-curved well. brim. Yeah, it's really worked that's really done well okay well then good on the factory that made it in china yeah but my question to you is if you look at gitch's underside of his brim there is no stickers or no anything there and on the underside of your brim you left a sticker on there it. is a sticker on it i don't understand that and like, i haven't taken that's, it that's off that's an, you know, an a sticker and, of authenticity. Well, but there's even the sticker on top of the brim now that oh, you know, some yeah. of the cool kids wear. Well, no, that needs to stay. <laughs> you just ripped Too it off. Oh. The hat police are going to come. <laughs> it's like that mattress tag that you're not supposed to ever. I ripped one of those off the other day. It felt and so it felt good? good? Yeah. <laughs> not removed. Oh no! These stickers, though, if you look at them carefully, they're they're almost a hologram, you know. So NHL, CFL, NFL, MLB, every league will auth- authenticate something. So there's a code Can you here. Show that to the microphone again. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and I guarantee, if you bought one of the um, one of the ripoff ones from one of those Chinese websites, it would probably still have one of these stickers <laughs> on it because they do them so good. Yeah. 
Well, but mine was, wasn't one of those. I was just in Thailand and <laughs> brought my daughter-in-law back a very nice Kate Spade purse. Excellent. You're such a good father. Yeah, because I'm sure it's it has to authentic. be it has to be it, like it's got a name on it and it had a tag even. Yeah. Mm. So a friend of mine bought a Rolex. So well, if you buy a CCM hockey jersey that from one of those Chinese websites or whatever, or if somebody goes over and brings it back, it'll say on it "Made in Canada." <laughs> that's how authentic it is <laughs> hey well thank you all for listening so much to uh this number 220 of podcast extra and again if you have any questions uh we'd love to hear from you so please send them to extra at norfew.org you can and also just, bring food jeff wrecked that ah, it was the day what? he he put down the bacon fudge oh. that our food ceased it was Shoot. that day, yeah. He just said it was horrible, and I didn't think it was that bad. Last now year, all food is stopped. I don't know what episode it was, but I had I had arranged for a friend to bring us Starbucks, and she did. The whole I podcast. was not there. You weren't there. That's good. I don't like Starbucks anyway. Hey, we have a couple of things coming up uh, very quickly here. We have our local missions weekend, which is the Labor Day weekend, uh, but then we have our fall kickoff, which is September twelfth <clears throat> and thirteenth. Uh, here at the North, at the Abbotsford campus out in our field, we got uh, from two to six, we got all sorts of stuff for the kids and families, young adults. We got a sports zone this year with all sorts of stuff. We even have a train coming this year. It's going to be RC cars. wild and crazy. The RC cars are back out. Lots of food. We got samosas and mm. hot dogs and stuff. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great time just to be able to connect with the church body and, and both campuses and all venues. So we invite you to come out to that. And then in Mission on September 19th from 12 to 3, that's a Saturday, uh, we're having the official hard launch of our Mission campus. And we're inviting the community to come out to that. And so if you're in Mission, we'd love for you to come out to, uh, to that. There'll be food and, and stuff for the kids there as well. I think Johnny, one of your worship teams, is even going to have some music in the yeah, background. We might try doing some live music outside. We'll see what the weather oh, looks like. Yeah. There will be uh, some slushies at the youth tent. So, Whoa. oh yeah, you're you're that out. so we got sugar, music, samosas, oh, yeah. all kinds of things to give us over. If the next you're under the years. age of, I think there's samosas over there. <laughs> under the age oh, of 18, okay. over the age of, I don't know, five. Can we get samosas over there? No. Oh. <laughs> By the way, there are good samosas in Mission at uh, Rabab. Little shameless plug for Rabab Indian cuisine. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I've eaten there. It's very good. It's very good great. Yeah. So if you've ever been to Rabab, you'll know what I'm talking about. Hey, Rabab. <laughs> it sounded like a Boston accent there. And if you ever been to Rabab, <laughs> the sign you'll know what I'm mission, talking about. It looks like it says Rahab because it's like a funny uh, bee. Yeah. So it looks like Rahab Indian. It's kind of funny. I laugh at it every time. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Rahab's in the line of Jesus. That's right. Thanks for listening.